Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Nakia and welcome to the Fearless Kia Podcast. Hey everyone, what's up? It's your girl Fearless Kia. Welcome to season four of the Fearless Kia Podcast. Yes, we are four seasons in. Thank you so much for your support, listening, downloading, subscribing, rating. Much appreciated. Um as always, uh, follow me on at Fearless Kia Pod uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any questions, feel free to email the Fearless Kia Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, so we're going to get into a new episode, new season. And so I usually like to start off with like lessons of the week, but this season I want to start off with like weekly devotionals or daily devotionals. And so. <laughs> And so I'm going to try to go quickly through this and then we can jump into the episode. Today's devotional is the most sacred place isn't the church, the mosque or the temple. It's the temple of the body. That's where spirit lives. Susan Taylor. Take a moment to check in on your body. Deeply inhale and exhale. Let your mind flow through your body. Check in on your feet, legs, hips. Let your mind roam your abdomen, your chest, your back. Scan your neck, shoulders, arms. What are you feeling? Fear? Exhaustion, tension, anxiety, anger, guilt, shame. Inhale and exhale. Where are you feeling it? Your legs, your back, neck, chest. Wherever it is, whatever it is, you are the only mechanic who can fine-tune your body. With a simple breath, you can release the stress and replace it with what you need. Turn anxiety into peace, anger into joy, tension into love, fear into faith, guilt into trust. Take a moment right now and give yourself a tune-up. When I am in tune with my body, I relax and release stress. This is from Acts of Faith by Ayanya Van Zant. Hope I pronounced it right. I always get contradictory, but this is her Acts of Faith uh, daily meditations for people of color. So that is one of the devotionals I wanted to read for today's um, podcast, and I will continue to read these throughout the season. If this is something that's helpful for you, guys, let me know. But without further ado, we'll get into today's guest. So this week's guest is an advertising insights marketing strategist at Facebook focused on developing ad effectiveness insights around stories and video ad formats across the Facebook family of apps and services, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger. Before joining Facebook in May 2018, she spent five and a half years at Turner working within ad sales research, integrated marketing research, and was heavily involved in the, in the development of Turner's audience targeting pro- products. In both 2016 and 2017, she was named one of Cable Fax's overachievers under 30. She was also recognized as one of the top five outstanding young professionals by the Advertising Research Foundation. Currently, she is an advisory board member of both the Advertising Research Foundation's Young Pros and the Ad Color Conference and Awards. She is also a proud member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. <laughs> she currently lives in New York, but hails from Pensacola, Florida. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Fearless Kia podcast, Jasmine Clinton. Hi. I was like, let me not mess this up, you know, as a fellow Delta, you know, no let me not mess it up. It's all love. It's all love. <laughs> Welcome to the Fearless Kia podcast. So happy to have you on. I know that I had your husband on last season. Yes. So this is episode good. 22. Check it yeah. out. Yeah. So this is good to now have the wife come <laughs> on to the podcast. And like we've known each other 
since Turner Days. So this is an also awesome full circle moment to have you on the podcast and talk about your journey, particularly as a woman of color within the research and insights industry, which is not really highly talked about when we think about uh, most women of color in the industry in New York. Everybody's hustling to be a journalist, a host, uh, you know, like a seller. Right? Exactly. But you don't hear a lot about like, a black woman who's really dominating this uh, the advertising industry when it comes to like research and insight. So I'm happy to have you on and really provide happy a different perspective. Um, I usually like to start out the show and del- delve right in and ask you, what is your deepest fear? Um, my deepest fear, I would say, is you know, I would say self impose limitations mm-hmm. and you know there's that quote and i'm probably quoting it all wrong but it's kind of <laughs> like at the end of the, your life you'll be met you'll meet like the person you are and the person you could have been and that first time i heard that quote scared the living daylights out of me mm-hmm. i'm like if i meet you know jasmine at her full potential at the end of my life and she's like this amazing person and i put these limitations on myself and i couldn't achieve those things like that is literally my worst fear. Right. Um, and first and foremost, shout out to you on season four of this. Because I had you. so many friends, like you said, and family on here. And I remember when you launched Fearless Kia podcast. And look at you now, like season four. So I'm so, so, Thank so, so, so excited much. for you. And I say all that to say because listening to your podcast and all the guests that have been on here, everyone's got that, you know, iteration of I don't want to let my family down or right. I don't want to live it to my full potential. And I agree right. with all those things. Right. So it's kind of like a culmination of what everyone has said in seasons prior and how I feel now. You yeah, know? absolutely. And so how, what kind of, what was that life moment that shaped this fear of self-imposed like limitations, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure that there was a moment in time when your fear was something else, right? Yeah. What kind of develop, developed that fear for you now? Hmm. I, that's a good question. Golly. <laughs> Already out the gate. Um, let me see. I think moving to New York and like working in the big city is mm-hmm. when it hit me. Like, mm-hmm. to be frank, like in high school and college, like you have imposter syndrome of some type. Right. But when you get to New York and you're working in the Big Apple and it's one of those like dog eat dogs mentality and everyone's in yeah. like, you know, doing stuff for their best interests, that's where it really hit me. I'm like, oh, I cannot put limitations or let my imposter syndrome show in this capacity in this city right or it's gonna literally hold me back yeah Mm -hmm. and how do you actively um work against or i want to say work against but how do you actively uh limit that fear Mm -hmm. um in order to allow your greatness to shine through on a day-to-day basis yeah first and foremost i acknowledge it so you know those times when you're in that meeting Mm -hmm. or on that stage or 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 presenting that that deck and you're like okay i'm gonna acknowledge that this fear is here i'm putting a limitation on myself right so first and foremost is is acknowledging it and i was thinking about this um a couple weeks ago i'm in this space in, in my life right now where i'm like Am I blaming my limitations on others or am I like, am I literally putting this limitation Mm -hmm. on myself? Prime example, right? You talked about in the beginning being one of the first or only (laughs) black women in certain rooms. Yeah. I always came in with the mindset that, oh, they don't want me here. I don't deserve to be here. Like I'm just their diversity hire. Or I'm that one in the room, so they could Talk check about the- it. Talk about <laughs> so they could it. check that box. Right. And literally, that was my mentality. And I had brainwashed myself. Mm. I would say for years at a mm. former employer, thinking that that was my mindset. Right. 
And now I'm in this place where I'm like, is that the truth, Jasmine? Or are you telling yourself that? Is that the is that the negative narrative that you're telling yourself? Wow. Or have people actually showed you that that's what their behavior is? And most of the time they haven't. Or has that been projected fear within the black community? Right. You know, we're mm-hmm. told, you know, as black women, we have to work twice as hard, not just because we're a woman, but because we're black. And right. that, you know, we have that weight against the world where we step in a room and we're the only and we mm-hmm. feel like we have to represent everyone because if we mess this up as the one... <laughs> Then right. everybody coming and behind And as a double us, minority. You know, as a double minority, yeah. now it's like, shit. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you feel that, like, it's not just the weight that we put on ourselves, but we put the weight of the community on ourselves. We put the weight of what has been told from us for generation to generation. It's like yeah. that, you know, you have to work as twice as hard. And mm-hmm. so it kind of, it's subconsciously we're perpetuating these other projected fears on us You're so right. to become our own fears mm-hmm. when it wasn't probably a fear we would have ever thought about if mm-hmm. we weren't taught this like this is like learned behavior it really is taught. It, and it's hard to unlearn those behaviors yeah it takes work that's what i'm learning it takes concerted effort to unlearn those type of yeah. habits and honestly again like like i said one acknowledging two assessing like is this really the situation or am i limiting myself right now with this negative self talk right. you know right so let's talk about your journey you come from florida mm-hmm. and you moved to new york mm-hmm. what made you want to move to new york <laughs> and how was that transition for you coming from down south and moving into a big city like yeah. <laughs> so I, w- I would say I graduated uh, from the University of South Florida, Go Bulls, shout out to them, um, in 2010, and actually got accepted into a program uh, through Gannett mm. <laughs> called the Talent Developed Pro- Program at the time um, that put me in New Jersey. Right. So that was my first actual like taste of, of the North. Does right. that make sense? So mm-hmm. I was there doing print research for some years. Um, and didn't really like local newspaper. I wanted to go to the mothership, which was USA Today, <laughs> which is also Gannett owned. So that moved me from, again, from graduating in Florida, literally a month after walking across the stage and getting my diploma, I was in Jersey doing print research. About a year into that, I was like, I want to be at the big paper. Went to USA Today, yes. which I know you know very well. <laughs> um, and that brought me into the city. But I will say that my mother and father are from New Jersey. Yeah. My grandparents live in New Jersey. So it's kind of like, I feel like I was a Southern Northerner. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. <laughs> so it's like, like, this is like my yeah, second home. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. Raised, right. in, raised in Florida, but spent my childhood summers in Jersey because that's the only way I'd see my grandparents. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say it was a major shock. Moving into the city was the was a major shock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would you tell your 20-year-old self, looking back now, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about this <laughs> oh, move to New York and just even just climbing up? the ladder when mm-hmm. it comes to your career mm-hmm. i would tell her don't be closed-minded mm-hmm. i think back in my 20s i was like super closed-minded one of my hairdressers back in florida shout out to melissa she told me you're gonna be in you're gonna be in new york working one day and i literally laughed in her face i'm like new york no that's not me like i'm gonna get a job down here in the south and be doing pr and she called it and i was very closed-minded even the the industry i'm in now i never thought i'd be in research i have a public relations degree right you know so i was closed-minded on that fact too i was like i don't really want to do this but let me give it a shot and look look what it yeah yeah, exactly so i would tell her don't be don't be closed-minded be more open-minded about where you live and what industries you want to delve into you know yeah and so as you moved throughout your career here Mm -hmm. um did you face um, some trials or tribulations when it came to either making uh career jumps or promotions or Mm -hmm. actually you know standing out in a room 
um, full of people who don't look like you mm-hmm. and being able to really command that space and like find your voice in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I would say for promotions and moving forward, I always just seeked out really good mentors. So I, I think to talk about it. I think to this day, I'm a little biased in like those obstacles because I had people who um, who helped me out along the way. I will say a, a turning point for me is I think sometimes we look for people who look like us to be our mentors. Mm, and I know this I know this is unpopular opinion, but like a friend of mine always said, go somewhere and find a white man. And literally that was her only career advice. And I know it's horrible to say and I hate that that has to be the career advice. <laughs> but for me, it was like I kind of seeked out mentors who I think we, I wouldn't connect with otherwise. And that's also worked to my benefit as well because yeah. that person has always like looked out for me. So, again, from a promotion and having to navigate those obstacles, I always looked for friends or, or, yeah. or colleagues that could help me do that. Um, what was your second part of the question? And the other part of the question is, like, how do you find your voice mm-hmm. and, like, establish your presence in that space? Yeah. Um, I will say um, one thing I started doing is realizing that, like, what makes me unique is actually my advantage. So, so going back to what I was saying about, oh, well, they don't want me in the room. that No one looks like me. I started flipping that on myself, I would say, maybe two or three years ago. And I said, oh, I'm the only one that looks like myself. I have the advantage. I have the upper hand. And started, like, kind of rewording my mental talk to yeah. myself. It's like, that's how I shined. Because I can talk about those shows that I know y'all aren't watching, but my demographic is watching. And how we can really advertise to yeah. them. So, again, using your, like, your background as your advantage and not a disadvantage. Because to your point, I think... We've been told for years that it's our disadvantage, and I try to try to flip that on its head, yeah, and say I'm unique. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, in this capacity, and let me own that when I mm-hmm. walk in the room. But right. even to go back to what you said about you know finding a white man and <laughs> your mentor, but I think um, it's interesting you say that because I've always been taught to align yourself with the person with a person who is that is at where you want to go. Yes. The person who is in a position of where you want to go. And they happen and, to be. And, they, and, they, <laughs> and, and, and at the time when we were coming into this industry, it significantly changed. Right? Yeah. We have more heads, mm-hmm. um, people of leadership that are of color, which is amazing. And I can see the transition happening. But I think when we were coming into New York, it was very far and few. Mm-hmm. And so yes. I could understand why the advice of like, finding a white man mm-hmm. or someone that's in a position of where you want to go because they are going to mm-hmm. share the that knowledge mm-hmm. um, that may not be to us of resource because mm-hmm. we don't have anyone that's in that particular mm-hmm. uh, role or space and where mm-hmm. we're um, striving to get to. Right. So I think that that's a really important part. But I mm-hmm. will say that, like, at this point, you know, new generation, younger generation, mm-hmm. if there are people like Jasmine mm-hmm. or other podcast guests that are now breaking barriers mm-hmm. in these spaces that you haven't seen before, mm-hmm. like, um, when it comes to mentorship, mm-hmm. there is a way to go about it. I feel like people don't really talk to you about how you yeah. deal with mentorship. But, like, it's not something that you ask someone like be my mentor it's something that they have to see the alignment you know Mm -hmm. right we have to be a perfect we have to marry one another i have to see something in you the gift in you and vice versa right oh yes and i think people yes misconstrue that as like okay i want to align myself with this person she's gonna be my mentor and it's like no yeah we have to choose each other yes and it has to be organic it has to be organic yeah it can't be forced Mm -hmm. so i just want to like i just wanted to touch on that because i think in mentorships I don't want people to leave and be like, well, I'm going to meet this person at work tomorrow and this is going to be my mentor. Like, no, yeah, that's not yeah, how it works, not how it works at all. You mm. really have to, like, 
have that person see that light in you and vice versa mm-hmm. and y'all align on the same page where mm-hmm. that person wants to continue to invest mm-hmm. in you and bring you Absolutely. along. And you know what? I will say the find <laughs> find your white man advice and then I'll leave that alone was given to to me when I was in a more of a traditional industry. So to your point, we, I will an, say we both are in traditional <laughs> industry. That's why I say I don't exactly. think there's anything wrong with that because most of the <laughs> right. time that I've been able to move has been given by a a non-person of color yeah exactly a non-person of color and then now uh, in the tech space i turn around like oh to your point there's women in the room that are high ranking oh there's people who look like me at the top that are the vps of product Mm -hmm. like that it has been eye-opening to me too but a shame that i had to experience it so late in the career yeah so how was that transition for you you're coming from broadcast media traditional media Mm -hmm. going into now the tech space, particularly social media, which yeah. is ever evolving. <laughs> How was that transition yeah. for you? And did you have moments of self imposter syndrome? Oh my god! Um, yes. <laughs> making that transition. Yeah. It, um, first of all, that's what drew me to the company is because when I was looking at kind of the hierarchy, I'm like, there are people of all types at the top. Mm-hmm. I love that. Everyone wants to be in a role where they can see that upward mobility. If you can't see it, like, it's hard for you to strive towards that. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I will say, gosh, making that transition has been everything. It's been amazing. It has not been easy. Mm. And that imposter syndrome is every day with me. If we're going to keep it 100, yeah. it's every day. Because when you work somewhere where, where I work, I'll say a major, <laughs> a major, major tech company, everyone is creme de la creme. Everyone is A1. Yeah. I work with master marketers, A1 storytellers, like... It's it's so interesting to be at a company where it's so hard to break into those companies because everyone's just amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of like, do I belong to be? Do I really belong in this room? Like, yeah, it, like it's ev- it's every single day. But I'm also believing like iron sharpening iron. Thank God I'm in the room with these people that are the storytellers and and the master marketers and like the best advertisers in the world because I'm learning just peripherally from being in the room with yeah. them. Yeah. And that's what I'm blessed for too. It's kind of like I'm learning and developing just as much as they are as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, and it also is kind of like going through another like course of school. Sometimes you get into it. Oh my gosh, yes. like, I am. I'm a freshman I'm, again. I'm a freshman again. <laughs> and I'm just going to soak in all of this knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And like learn. It's amazing. Remember. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance Right. So you are married and I'm sure that you have, like you said, you're on two boards now. You're doing work. It's like, how do you balance all of these aspects of your life mm-hmm. um, and still give as much as you can in, in each facet? Right. I'm not going to go with the you got to give 100 percent to everything. Yeah. This is not, I'm, that's not really that's not feasible. That's not feasible. <laughs> but how do you how do you ba- find balance in that? Wow. That's. That's good. I don't know that you ever find the balance. I think it ebbs and flows, to be frank. Mm. I think if you would have asked me beginning of last year, I probably was heads down on the boards I was on, right? Mm. And then I made a job transition, like you said, in May of 2018. Now I'm heads down on, like, just onboarding in my in my right. job. And what falls by the wayside when you do that? Friendships. I can't make every brunch because mm-hmm. I'm still onboarding and catching up and stuff. Sometimes that marriage gets put on the back burner. You just got to... Hold me down right now, babe, because I'm going through a new job. So it's just kind of like, I love what Shonda Rhimes says. She's, she said um, in an interview one time, if you see me on set at like, you know, one of my shows, it means I'm not with my daughter, right? Right. So it's that everything is a give and take. And so mm-hmm. I think for me, it ebbs and flows. And I try to prioritize kind of quarter by quarter what's important, you know? Yeah. It's hard to balance it, though. 
Because sometimes I'm working from 9 to 5, and then from 5 to 9, I'm on an ad color call. Like, yeah. It's a lot, but all these things fuel me, so I don't mind putting in the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you're doing something you love, it really doesn't matter. And that's a message in our (laughs) bar, okay? It doesn't feel like work when you're doing something that you love. (laughs) That is a message. So how, since we're talking, we're in this space now, we're talking about you balancing uh, marriage, friendships, work. How do you define a healthy relationship? Mm, I love that. That's such a good question. <laughs> These questions are so good. A healthy relationship. I, I say to my girlfriends, like, you know you're in a healthy relationship when something wonderful happens to you and you want to pick up the, the phone and call him or her. Mm. Or something horrible happens to you and that's the first person you want to you wanna talk to. That person pours into you just as much, if not more. Mm-hmm. They're supportive of your goals. Your goals are... Your goals are almost their goals as well. Yeah. All those things are like part of a healthy relationship. And for me, friendship was my foundation. Mm. And I think you have to literally be friends with the person that you're in a relationship with. Can we define friendship? Because <laughs> I had a rant the other oh, day God. on Twitter about Did you? friendship. Yeah. Tell me about I think it. People misconstrue, I think specifically, let me give context, in a dating space, I think people misconstrue. Um, when you say you want to build a foundation of friendship, mm-hmm. it is automatic. And granted, there are different forms of friendship, but it's automatically assumed that there are certain characteristics of friendship that you, I think, people require mm-hmm. when they're building with a foundation with someone okay. that get misconstrued mm-hmm. as trying to be in a relationship. And it's like, no, at okay. the fundamental value, this is what the mm-hmm. core of what. A friendship is, is is the foundation regardless of, of sex. regardless yeah. of the other things of dating yeah. and relationship mm-hmm. and all that. Like, so if this makes you think that we're dating or we're in a relationship, that's problematic. Yeah, these are core values. These are core I'm just characteristics to be your and values of yeah. being a friend. And I think, I think people blur the lines between the two. Really, so I, I, I do. <laughs> I do. I really do. I really feel like. People assume, and granted, like I said, there are different forms of friendships. Figure out what friends you're trying to do. But, like, at the core of value, I think people blur the lines between the two of, like, okay, let me give an example. Please. All right. <laughs> oh, are you going to be in the area? Are you going to be my area tonight? This is two friends. You in my area tonight? Yeah, I'm going to be around there around this time. Cool. All right. What time you come? Like, hit me. Let me know. Whatever. Crickets. 12.30 in the morning. hmm Oh, I thought you were asleep. How could you... Between this hour and this... How, how, how could you think I was sleeping? Yeah, exactly. If... Friendships take work. If yeah. you didn't communicate between yeah. that time. There mm-hmm. was no check-in point, right. right? But now I have to hold you to the standard of what I require. My friends, like, common courtesy. It's not yeah. a... It's not a check-in, you know... This is where we blur lines. You want me to check in like I'm your dude. Oh, I'm, I get it. That's now. not okay. a check yeah. in. Right. It's more of a common courtesy, respect my time. Because I would respect that. I would expect because that of my girlfriend. Of my girlfriend. Exactly. I would respect yeah. that of my, you know, friends that it's are of the opposite courtesy. sex that are interested in their same sex. Like, I would respect <laughs> that. You know what I'm saying? So, like. I see what you're saying. That's where I feel like. So when we talk about a healthy friendship yeah. as a foundation of something that evolves into something more, I mm-hmm. think that we really don't define what friendship is. Because I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of we have these blurred lines of what it's supposed to mean. Mm-hmm. So there's no way to really cultivate that. But if you think about your female friendships yeah. or your platonic friendships, right. 
these are standards. Right. There's standards, but also I feel like one size doesn't fit all. Like you got different types of friendships yes. with different people. Your friendships. I have male friends. Your friendship with male friends might be different than the way you yeah. adapt to your friendship with with girlfriends. The standards might be higher or lower depending. Like you're right. There are some core fundamental values, but also I think it kind of ebbs and flows as well depending on right. But you mm-hmm. two people have to define what that friendship and be is clear on and what be it clear is. Clear on what that is and right. understand that this is the. This is the expectations of this person whenever, for me, being their friend or what they require. Do I want to (laughs) do that or no? Right. Because, look, that's not who I am. You know what I'm saying? That may not be. And look, if you're not a good friend, I'm not going to be in a relationship with you. Because your friendship is that audition into, like, if you want to be in a long-term relationship with that person. So if you don't have that clear line of communication now and we're just cool and getting to know each other... That's a red flag for me, whether I want to actually, like, invest time in being in a long-term relationship with Talk you. Talk about it. <laughs> I'm not even saying that that is what it is. Yeah. You know? I think some people jump the... I think we sometimes jump the gun to mm-hmm. the next step of things instead of actually being fully present in, right. in the certain stage and where we're at. Mm-hmm. But I will say that that's a true indicator to your point mm-hmm. of, like, this is an indicator of how things are going to be. How you right. start something is how you're going to finish right. something. So if this person is not aligning with your core values at a basis of friendship, we damn sure <laughs> not going to be, you know what I'm saying? It's damn sure not going to go any further than mm-hmm. that. And back to your question of what makes a healthy relationship, communication. You just hit on it. Like, you have to be able to communicate, good or bad. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? That That is part of a healthy relationship. Hey, you have to hold that person accountable as well. I think you're falling off a little bit. You got to you got to pick it up, right? right? That's because you're that's a healthy relationship. You love the right. individual and you want to see them do better, right? And I would expect the same from right. from my partner as well to hold me accountable. So that communication is not just friendship; it's also part of a healthy relationship as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so, in going into like, we just defined what a healthy relationship and friendship is. <laughs> How do you define black love for you and your husband? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> right? Because black love yeah. is not the same for everybody. That's how I have to be yeah. Oh, gosh. We just defined this for Essence, too. I got to figure out what it was recently. And we just said this. Um, for us, it's just, again, I think it was black love for us is a healthy relationship. Wanting to build a fruitful future together. Mm-hmm. And I think the two of us happen to be black type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that is that is the true thing of black love. Also, like... Black love is just beautiful. I don't know how to, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's yeah. just, we're, we're seeing so many powerful black love relationships yeah. right now with Michelle and Barack and getting an inside look of what that black love looked like, good and ugly, in her recent book. I feel like Jay Z and Beyonce, we got the I'm good, like, bad, and the ugly, whether they wanted the music, us to know it. And the music, we're going to get that documentary at some point. We don't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> right, you know what I'm saying? I like that Jada and Will are sitting down with Red Table Talk mm-hmm. and really telling all of their business and, mm-hmm. hey, it looked ugly here. Like, black love is transparent, to your point, oh, right? Okay. Like it's like, (laughs) like is it is it is it always beautiful? No, right. And I think some of us have grown up in households where we've seen black love in our in our parents or not, and it wasn't always beautiful, right? Right. So I just think black love is vulnerable. It's transparent. It's healthy. It's it's everything. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So how would you? So how would you? I don't even want to say define, but more so. What does happiness look like for you at this point in your life? In a love capacity, career capacity? In a... In, a, in general. Three, full, full, <laughs> overall. full scope. Overall. Wow. I'm at peace. I mm. think 
And I'm not saying I currently am. I think that's what happiness would look like. Mm-hmm. I think right now there's a lot going on just in the climate of the world. <laughs> yeah. That, like I'm letting it seep into my, my inner. Mm-hmm. Um, but happiness looks like for me is I'm at peace. I'm doing something I love and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Um, happiness for me is a happiness for those that I love as well. Mm. So my husband, my mother, my family, everyone, right? That's what happiness looks like for me, I think. And everyone around me is also happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And healthy. <laughs> happy and healthy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and in and we talked about this. Um, I talked about this with Mark, but... Um, being, Go listen to episode 22, yeah, by the way. <laughs> but being um, a black woman in a marriage with a husband who had a full-time job, who decided to take... Let's a, unpack take this. A, take a... <laughs> <laughs> take a risk, a take a leap of faith, right? Lean yes. into his fears and really um, become a full-time photographer. Mm-hmm. How was that for you? <laughs> like, I want to know, you know, we're talking about, people got to understand, this is a household. We're talking about incomes. We're talking about lifestyles, okay? Mm-hmm. How was that transition for you? And what did it require of you as his wife yeah. to really um, let him know that, that I support you. You know, like, we in this together. I, I love that you asked this question because he got to tell his side on the Fearless right. Keeler podcast. And now it's like my turn. Yeah. Um, I get, no, but he, he hit the nail on the head. Um, he hit the nail on the head when he sat down and talked to you. Um, look, I wasn't on board right away. And I, I love that he was transparent about that, right? So a year before he actually quit his full-time job, he kind of started teeing up the idea like, hey, I like this. I want to try to do this full-time. Yeah. I was like, Ugh! hold up wait (laughs) not that i didn't think he couldn't do it right right this is someone i literally seen grown since we were 16 years old right i knew he was capable right for me though and he kind of touched on this our lifestyle was like we were both in advertising we were really like coming up in our careers he was like an account executive like we were used to just moving and shaking i know that for one person in your household to be a complete entrepreneur would shake up the dynamic financially and like you know, the, I didn't know what the relationship was going to go through. Um, and then I basically was like, prove it to me. So to his point, like he kind of had to pitch it and I had to see him work his nine to five. And then from five to nine and every weekend, like shoot, 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 shoot. To the point where I'm like, show me that you have so much clientele that you cannot do your day job. Mm. That happened way sooner than I than I thought. Like he was just killing it, going fast, fast, fast. And in, 20, in about October of 2018, I believe he was like, I'm just going to do it. You know, I'm going to go for it. And I just fully supported him because I had saw him not sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, I never saw him. I lived in the same house with him, you know? <laughs> like, um, and I just kind of went back to that. And one of the things that I told him recently is I went back to that 16-year-old that I had a crush on in high school that was working at the grocery store and Taco Bell at the same time yeah. and doing other stuff. I literally went back to knowing I know his work ethic from, like, I know his work ethic better than anybody else. Right. So if you want to do this, I am 100% behind you. Right. right? And it, and he is doing it and killing it. It's not always easy. I think, honestly, living with an entrepreneur has changed the way I work and, and mm. my job. Because to see someone like, whatever you don't kill, you don't eat. You know that that, that term when you're an entrepreneur. Like, seeing how hard he goes, how how late he stays up, yeah. how early he gets up to do stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm half-assing over here. It kind of right. makes you feel... I think when you are, are married to and live with an entrepreneur, you're like, oh, I got I to gotta keep going. Yeah. So in a way, him making that leap has like poured into me as well. Mm. And I really think that's why I was so dedicated to making that career shift last year. Yeah. It's because I was like, if he's doing this and taking this huge leap, like, 
I can't have imposter syndrome on this is what I want to do over here. Right. I got to go 100%. Yeah. So, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And it kind of propelled you both against your own fears. It did. Mm-hmm. Right? Literally. Simultaneously. Literally. Simultaneously. <laughs> it kind of just like... We're both like, let's jump. Take this leap of yeah. faith. So, in speaking of faith, how has um, your faith superseded your fears in your life? Oh, wow. Gosh. <laughs> that one's leaving me speechless. How's my faith superseded my fears? I, I just feel like... God, how do I answer that? I feel like faith in itself supersedes fears, right? Like, faith is taking that next step without knowing the outcome, right? Right. And for me, it's like everything that I've been doing, I would say, in the past year, two years, six months, has been walking by faith. Like, mm-hmm. I'm terrified. I got a husband who's making a career shift. I'm about to go into one of the biggest tech companies in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, those things required so much daggone faith. You have no right. idea. Like, the faith was all I had at some point. So I'm like, all right, you're going to make this leap. I support you. Let's go. I have faith in you and faith that we can do it. I'm about to make this crazy industry shift from television to tech. Am I capable? Or I have the faith mm. in myself and, like, faith in what I've done in the past that I can do it. So I think... Those two key things really showed me that faith at one point was all I had to supersede those fears, right? Because you can't walk in fear. You'll never go back to my biggest fear. You'll put self-imposed limitations on yourself. So so faith has really been... Let's just say my faith has been exercised in the the past year or so. You have exercised that (laughs) muscle. Exactly. To its capacity. Almost, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I wanted to ask you, are there... We, we talked about friendships. We talked about healthy relationships. Mm. We talked about faith superseding um, your fears. Are there other personal goals that you are still striving to accomplish in your life? And if so, what are they? Um, you know, I recently became, I will say, the chief of staff for Ag Color, mm-hmm. which just background for those who don't know, Ag Color is, you know, an organization for di- diversity and inclusion in the industry. When you say goals that are, you know, still out there for me. I think I'm to a point now where, and shout out to the fact that it's Black History Month, I'm just trying to push forward, like, my people as a whole in the industry. Those are one of those goals. And that's bigger than me. That's, like, a bigger legacy thing. Right now, I'm kind of thinking, what is my legacy? What do I want to leave behind? Yeah. And and for me, those goals is just seeing more of us in the room. Going back to what you said, I shouldn't be the only one, right? So how can I help push forward that agenda of seeing us win collectively. Yeah. And that's like a huge goal. And that, it's a personal goal, but it's also like a goal that I think all of us should should have. Right. Mm-hmm. In our in our fields as right. we walk in the room. Right, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of wrap up the episode and ask you if you could use three words to describe yourself, what would it be? Well, I think I'm an enthusiastic dedicated crazy dedicated and um how will the last one be generous i think i'm generous in in love relationships knowledge i think those would be the three yeah, the three to, to wrap it for up. sure I, I will concur on that <laughs> thank you and then i actually actually have one extra okay question. what bonus is question. like bonus question <laughs> what is like one guiding principle to live a fearless life, like based off of you and your life and what you've experienced, what's one guiding principle did you feel like has allowed you to live your life fearlessly? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to 
say a quote that my father always told me. My father is a pilot, so mm-hmm. obviously all his metaphors were about flying. Um, he always taught me, and he literally ingrained this in me, still to this day. Um, the sky is not the limit. The sky is a starting point for you. Mm. And that's kind of one of the things that I've thought about when I have, going back to what I said, that imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Or when I'm the only one in the room. Or when I feel like, going back to my biggest fear, I'm putting no self-imposed limitations on myself. Mm-hmm. Like, don't even shoot for the sky. Like, the sky should be the starting point for you and everything else is just, like, added bonus. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so for me, and having my dad tell me that all the time, like, again, Jasmine, like, sky the sky is not the limit it's a starting point has been my guiding principle like just because you don't see someone up there that looks like you and can't do it doesn't just because you see someone who looks up doesn't look like you up there doesn't mean that you can't do it you know yeah. and that's kind of been my guiding principle yeah and oh now that you hit that on now and i know i keep saying go it for it end, but like can we talk about i should have asked this earlier can we talk about the important why is it so important to understand data and metrics regardless of what industry you're in and why it is important to have more people of color in roles um, when it comes to being closer to data-driven um, mm-hmm. objectives and metrics, uh, regardless of what you know pathway you kind of go or what field you're in. Because mm-hmm. I think that that's something that I wanted to ask you early. I don't know why that's with my mind, but mm-hmm. I think it's so important mm-hmm. today to really understand consumer insights data and metrics Mm -hmm. regardless of what business you're in right and you are breaking barriers Mm -hmm. in that um, particularly in advertising industry Mm -hmm. um and i wanted you to hit the nail on the head since you said you started in public relations Mm -hmm. and ended up in advertising advertising insights and research so Mm -hmm. like this is a field where, like you said, the sky is the limit. Where your dad is saying that, like, you may not see someone in that role, mm-hmm. like, but you ended up literally becoming mm-hmm. like a household like name and mm-hmm. face yeah. of, a, of a black woman yeah. in that industry. Mm-hmm. I just wanted you to talk about the importance of that and and why we need more people to at least, if you're not necessarily in research, to at least yeah. to understand the data. And- I would say that numbers don't lie. And when you can quantify when you can quantify something, you have ultimate power, right? Mm-hmm. And we live in such a data driven world. Everything is data, data, data. But a quick example is, you know, from a qualitative standpoint, you can say someone is, oh, she's great at her job. She's right. good at what she does. But to quantify that and say, no, she's directly correlated to a revenue increase of X percent. She manages X number of accounts. She, you know, brought in X number of, you know, additional revenue. Like that is when you can quantify something, you have power because facts don't lie. Right. Right. And that's so important. And I'm blessed to be an opportunity where I work for another black woman. So what I'm learning in in real time is to your point, I get to see how someone who looks like me navigates that space and like navigates that career field, specifically in tech. Right. Um, and in TV, I didn't see so much of that. But in tech, again, like I said, it's a little bit more diverse there. And to your second question on why it's important is because we should be in all fields, right? It doesn't matter. Like, right. That's why it's so important to have people that look like you in those different industries. And what I'm learning, to be frank, is that researchers come in all different colors, genders, different types, like you never know. And so... Just to wrap up, I feel like data and quantifying and metrics and understanding consumer behavior is the end-all be-all for everything, right? Yeah. You cannot push out a new product or a new feature or anything unless you know how the consumers, and you can quantify how they're using it. Right. right. It's it's literally the crux of everything. I think research gets a bad rap, too, because they think it's like, 
crunching so, numbers. You're crunching numbers in an Excel all day. And it's actually storytelling. Like, you're storytelling with the data. I can have a whole bunch of numbers in front of me. I have to determine what that says. Right. I have to literally tell the story behind that. I have to analyze that data and then come out with the takeaways. So... It, it's really, it's really at the crux of of the business. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's an important, it's imperative to truly elevating yourself. Like you said, if you're trying to market yourself. You have to be more than just a good person, right? You gotta tell when you're in a room and you're interviewing or you're what meeting have you someone. Done? You, what have you done? Yeah. How did you drive to the overall like objective of the business or mm-hmm. the revenue pipeline or whatever the yeah. case may be in your role? How are you moving KPIs? Yeah. How are you doing it? You know, yeah. because mm-hmm. if not. I found for me, you know, when I was interviewing Lord for the past two years, it's been a long time coming, people. And <laughs> at, at some point, I will let you guys know, you know, I will reveal where I'm at right now <laughs> in that process. But what I will say is I found it very difficult because I could not, as much as I wanted to qua- uh, quantify, quantify it, mm-hmm. it was like, I'm not specifically really touching. I'm at a touch point within it, but mm-hmm. I'm not specifically touching, you know, revenue or touching um, a certain aspect of the business that is, is truly driving mm-hmm. these numbers. Mm-hmm. And I had to really, like, take a step back and figure out how do I position myself mm-hmm. and where can I really comb through opportunities in my past and now where I did, that mm-hmm. I can elevate those opportunities. Yeah. So it, it comes, you know, some, it's a process. Yes. But I have saw where mm-hmm. where it kind of like prevented me from getting that that yes yeah exactly. you know between someone else because mm-hmm. they may have had more data and mm-hmm. more uh, metrics where mm-hmm. they can clearly show their results based off of like that business opportunity yeah. and the action they took and so that's, that's and you know what helps with that quick tip not to get technical just following up because for me sometimes i contributed to projects i would send the deck off and never know what happened that's what it. i'm saying so sometimes it's just following up hey hey so-and-so i helped you with that pitch because you let me know you know what did that result in for you did you get a new client because of that Mm. what did you and then literally they'll tell you right and then you can contribute that to yourself so for me it's just sometimes it's just herding goats and following up i helped you with that project how did that turn out is there anything is there anything i can quantify from that and like literally just reaching out to everyone that you've kind of been in xfm partnerships or collaborated with to kind of get that quantified feedback that you can contribute to yourself that's a great tip Mm -hmm. and Another tip to tell my tips, not to make this, you know, but I think this mm-hmm. is great, valuable information is to document everything, everything. whatever that you're working on. Everything. Document <laughs> everything. You need to know, like, okay, this is opportunity. This is the action. This is the result. And if you have to break it down like that via each project or each thing that you touch, mm-hmm. that is going to help guide you in that next step, right? When you're mm-hmm. looking to, for that promotion, for that raise, for that new Mm-hmm. career opportunity transition you have it now you know mm-hmm. you have it physically written down now you're just adding it into yeah. you know formulated formulating right. it into sentences yeah. on your resume or in your portfolio mm-hmm. and that's something that i would have told myself when i was 21 but i wasn't i was just happy to be in new york yeah exactly i was just happy to be here exactly. in a company a huge media yeah. company and working i wasn't thinking yeah. metrics <laughs> i wasn't thinking data i was thinking Oh my god, I work for this cool company. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. I had to realize like that's not gonna get you but And it's so hard far. to retroactively go back and be like, Oh, what did I do for the year? Quick tip, I had someone senior to me tell me, and he's a man of color. He was like every Monday he sits at his desk for the past week, he just quantifies what he does. Mm. Keeps it in a word doc, keep it in a note, mm. keep it in a quip, whatever you wanna keep it on. But that way if you get in the and it's a new year, so implement this habit. 
if you do it once a week and it's time for exactly what you just said, that promotion or, you know, it's review time. You can literally just grab from that. I've been doing this on a weekly basis. So now I'm just to your point, formulating it into sentences. I'm condensing it. I'm summarizing. Exactly. Right? So it's something I need to start doing to be friends. Protect your neck. Yeah. (laughs) It's another way of saying cover your ass, protect your neck. I love that. Because at that point, it's like, you know, you can show, like you Mm -hmm. said, you can show how you have contributed to these things. Mm -hmm. And that's every, that's what a review is. Right. How is this person measuring up to the the responsibilities and the goals that we set for them to bring them into this role? But also... How have you contributed or how have you gone over and beyond? And I think it's easy to do that on a weekly basis versus, oh, my God, it's four quarters in and now it's time for my review. Let me think back what I did the past four months. (laughs) I agree. So I'm I'm about to implement that (laughs) in my new beginning. I'm about to be every week. Every week. Even just like I I helped with a project this week. Just documenting that. Yeah. Makes that review and promotion time, I'm sure, very easy. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if y'all ain't getting no gems from that, <laughs> I, look, we trying to give y'all the gems to be successful. Yes, okay? exactly. In the new year. In the new year. And that's why data matters. Okay? That mm-hmm. is why data matters mm-hmm. for us. Um, so to close off the the episode, I usually close off with a quote. And I really hope I don't butcher this person's name at the end. But the quote goes, We sabotage the great things in our lives because deep down we don't feel worthy of having the great things. Teresa Riazzi. Boom. Well, until next time, I'm wishing you guys nothing but love, light, and many blessings. Happy Fearless Friday. It's your girl, Fearless Kia. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for joining me. Thank you for having me. And we are out. Have a blessed weekend, guys. Woo, season four. Woo!